and welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined by my partner and good friend Andy Roth, who you can follow as I do on Twitter at AR Hoop Talk. And we're brought to you by DraftKings. And the NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't miss offer. For week one, bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet on of $1 or more on any week one game. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boost. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same game parlay. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And Andy, with that uh, now said, uh, we're recording this podcast in late August, which is known as the dog days in baseball, of course. And in basketball, I guess you can say these are the idle or vacation days annually. Uh, we're in between the draft, free agency, and the beginning of training camps upcoming. But Andy, as you well know, as we both well know, there is always news in basketball, isn't there? Yeah, I guess the uh, pending big news will be what happens with Ben Simmons. Uh, it looks like an ugly situation right now. Reports that he's had no contact with the Philadelphia front office. My feeling is if they do make a deal, it still won't be a significant enough deal to put them in true championship contention. I think it'll leave a big hole for them defensively and on the front line. So I don't see a good situation for Philadelphia with this Simmons deal. You know, it's really interesting because I, I just literally uh, touched on the Ben Simmons thing. I was going over some notes and on ESPN, they have they ask all their basketball experts what's going to happen with Ben Simmons. Training camp is right around the corner. Is he going to be there? And I think they asked uh, four different, uh, quote unquote, their sports basketball junkie experts. Two said yes, two said no. So they don't know any more than honestly almost anybody else. I'm sure that Philadelphia is obviously talking to teams who at the very least gauge interest in the guy. But unless they get a really good return, Andy, it, it doesn't make sense. I know that the fans in that city will boo his butt right off the court if he doesn't play well. But who knows? Maybe that's motivation for him to do just the opposite and play extremely well. Who knows? Yeah, and the tough part is with a lot of star players, it's tough to get equal return. And with Simmons coming off that bad playoff performance, it puts Philly in a tough situation. Yeah, we'll talk more about Ben Simmons uh, a little bit later on. But, uh, I, you know, there really is not that much news at this time of the year. Like I said, a lot of the front offices are on vacation. Uh, but Milwaukee, I think, did one of the smarter things. You know, listen, they signed Giannis last year and it, it, it turned into a championship. They extended the contract of their head coach, Mike uh, Budenholzer, uh, for three more years. 
And you know, if you go, if you look back on this guy, Andy, he's a two-time coach of the year. He's now an NBA champion. He certainly comes from the Greg Popovich tree. He was successful in Atlanta. He's now more than successful up in Milwaukee. I don't think even though he's got all those accolades, the guy deserves, uh, he should be getting more accolades than uh, what he already has, to be honest with you. Look, let's be honest. I think any basketball fan and, and most NBA players know that if the Nets are healthy, the Bucks are out of the first round and Boonholzer is likely out of a job. Wouldn't have been the first round. Would have been the second round for what little. I'm sorry, second round. Yeah. Okay. And that's okay. Uh, and, and listen, you might be right. But it doesn't really make a difference because it was what it was. I hate to use that phraseology, but that's what they do nowadays. And he did get his team by there. And then he beat Philadelphia. And then he beat Phoenix. And he's an NBA champion. And like I said, he's a two-time NBA coach of the year. And now he's a very rare, rich man, too. Yeah, and I'm sure they wanted the continuity. I'm, I have a feeling Giannis would not have been happy if uh, they had given Budenholzer his walking papers. You know, it's really interesting. And, and you and I do a gambling podcast also and if you take a look at already the nba odds the champion milwaukee bucks they're not favored to win this upcoming season i think that's correct but the team that at least is favored to win in the west and correct me if i'm wrong it's that fossil team out in the los angeles known as the la lakers what are your thoughts on on the lakers you know listen LeBron is 36. Anthony Davis is the young Colt at 28. Westbrook is 32. Carmelo is 37. Ariza is 36. Gasol is 36. Dwight Howard is 35. What are your thoughts on an aging veteran team, but can they hold up all season? I think it just comes down to health. And uh, if LeBron and Anthony Davis, especially LeBron at his age, can play at a high level. Now, keep in mind, before he hurt his ankle last year, he was probably the leading candidate for MVP. So in my mind, if LeBron and AD play at a high level, even though I'm not thrilled with the Russell Westbrook fit, if Russell Westbrook is your third best player, you're still in pretty good shape. Yeah, and you and I talked about this, I think, off air. What about uh, LeBron being PO'd that they did a poll of uh, the other NBA players and who should be the best player in the NBA and, and LeBron was not mentioned? as either number one or two. And listen, right now, it's Giannis and Durant that are the top two players. But, you know, LeBron has that ego about him. And, he, you know, and a little bit like Michael, he's going to, uh, you know, harbor that and use it to his advantage. What do you think about that whole situation? It's called the NBA soap opera. We have, you know, our share of drama, and that's part of it. And I'm sure he'll say he'll use it as a motivation for the coming season. All right. Are the Lakers the team to beat out West? I mean, obviously, Phoenix was the team that went to the championship. Phoenix has gotten better and better over the last two years. Utah, you know, I think I thought underachieved in the postseason. I'll be honest with you. Golden State will be closer to being healthy. Klay Thompson, I guess, won't be back now until Christmas. And of course, Denver, you know, had a really good season last year and they have the reigning MVP. But are the Lakers still the team to beat out West? Yeah, in my mind, Lakers still the favorite. They've got the two elite players. And again, a number three player in Westbrook, if they remain healthy and play up to their capabilities, you've got to consider them the favorite. I'll be looking at the Warriors and what Klay Thompson is. If Klay Thompson can be really good, I think Golden State is the number two team out West. Between Thompson and Green and, and, and Curry, and I do like the addition of Otto Porter. If he's healthy, I think <laughs> he gives them a guy that can do things off the dribble. I know you didn't like him in Chicago but he can create off the dribble. He can knock down the three. Um, 
They've got a young guy in Jordan Poole that I think could compete for most improved player. So I, I think Golden State could be very dangerous. I mean, they gave teams fits last year without Clay there. And, and with Clay there, that makes Curry even more potent. All right. I just got to say this about Otto Porter Jr. First of all, his accountant loves him more than anybody else on the planet because, you know, the uh, and his agent, of course, too, because they've both gotten very rich off this guy. He, he got a ton of money in Washington, in Chicago, you know, wherever he's gone, he's gotten a ton of money. Unfortunately, he is the most injury prone or worse players I've ever seen in maybe all of sports. He, he missed half his games in Washington. He missed more than half his games here in Chicago. He went down to Orlando. I don't even know if he played down there. You know, he had another new injury. So, listen, for his sake and Golden State's sake and the fans' sake, I hope he plays. And you're right. If he's healthy, he's a 6'8 guy who can pop from all over the court. But he's never healthy. And, and I'm sorry. If, and, and until he proves me otherwise, I just think he's stealing money. Look, uh, well, actually, he's not stealing money at this point because he got the veterans minimum as far as from the Golden State end. So that, you know, was a, a low risk, high reward signing, which is fine. If he doesn't work out, they move on. All right, let's go to the Eastern Conference right now. Oh, you know, actually, let's go back to the Western Golden State. One more point. James Wiseman. I mean, I thought the couple of times that I saw him in person, I actually thought he was pretty good and he could maybe develop into like what DeAndre Ayton, you know, did in his second year out in Phoenix. But a lot of people got on his case. Listen, he was only 19 years old last season. I think he was one of the younger players in the NBA, obviously. You know, wh what do you see out of him? Do you do you see him blossoming in time? And and honestly, on a star-studded team, that should really take some of the pressure off him, I would think. I'm op optimistic about him. I think too many people rush to judgment off a small sample size of a player that played three games in college and had a very uneven season last year. Uh, love his size, his length, his athleticism, and from what I can see, a pretty damn good skill level. All right, now let's go to the Eastern Conference. Uh, we already mentioned Ben Simmons. I really don't see how Philly at this juncture, at this juncture, Andy, can get returned for him. I mean, you know, there's no guillotine hanging over them that they have to trade this guy right now. I mean, they could, they're still a, a really solid roster overall. And, you know, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see that happening, but you know, time will tell. And the tough part with Simmons is he's an imperfect star. He's not yeah. your typical quote star. And, and I've said this numerous times. I wouldn't want him until he proves me wrong. Otherwise I don't want him on my team because you're going to follow him in any close game situation in the fourth quarter. And not only does he not deliver from the free throw line, he's scared to take shots in the fourth quarter. That's a big, big detriment for a quote unquote superstar player. And the other aspect of him being scared to shoot, it makes it easier to defend the other four players on the floor when you don't have to pay attention to him. All right. Uh, one of his teammates, of course, is Joel, M Joel Embiid, and he just broke the bank. Uh, he's basically getting close to $50 million for the next four years. Um, I still say of all the centers, if, if, if he's healthy, and he listen, he's had some knocks against him too. I still think he's the best center in basketball right now. Either him or, or Jokic, but you can make a case for either one. But, yeah, Embiid's a monster, and he's one of the few players in the league that is truly a number one guy, a guy that if he's your best player, 
you can win a championship with them. How motivated is the team that's one of the teams closest to where you are on the East Coast, uh, the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, hopefully they will, for their sake, uh, they'll all be healthy. We saw what Durant did, of course, in the Olympics. I mean, Kevin Durant is just a winner, period. And he almost willed them by himself to beating Milwaukee in that seven-game series. Harden was playing on one leg. Hopefully he'll come back. And Irving, I mean, Irving is a tremendous talent, even though he's weird. Um, but how motivated are they to prove some of the critics right, like yourself, that they are the best team in the East? Well, I've got to believe they're as hungry as hell. Because for me, as someone who's competitive, I think the most frustrating way to lose is the way they lost last year when you're undermanned. And they, they know, even Spencer Dinwiddie, after he signed with Washington, he said, look, you know, if, if we were healthy, we would have won the championship. So uh, th they're going to be plenty motivated. As far as you know, are they healthy? Is, is Harden 100%? I mean, basketball, in essence, doesn't start for a while. Not 100% yet. He has been working out. I watched some video of him. He seems to be moving fine. And here's the bottom line. When you have three elite players, then, you know, you're destined for a high level of success. When you look at LeBron first with Miami and then with Cleveland, eight straight finals. You look at the Warriors with Durant, uh, Curry, and Thompson, three straight finals, two world championships. So at the least, for me, they're getting to the finals, but for me, they come out on top at the end. Okay, let's go around a few other things around the NBA. Uh, ultimately, I'm going to want to focus uh, on, on uh, your New York Knicks team and my Chicago Bulls team, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, uh, Boston, Brad Stevens goes from the bench to the front office. Okay, he's, he's one of the, you know, listen, I'm sure he's capable of doing that. But do you think in the long run, do you think he'll regret moving from the bench? Because, listen, he's been a coach his whole life, almost. You know, he may regret it, but it's better to be employed than not employed. And I think <laughs> he knew that had to be the next step he had to take to stay within the organization. I think they'll have an uptick year this year. Uh, look, uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum certainly haven't reached their ceiling they got a great value signing by getting Schroeder for $5.9 million. And I think the return of Al Horford will help them. I think Horford playing the five will really benefit this team with his ability to step out and knock down threes, mid-range shots, his passing ability, his ball handling. I think that will be a plus for them. You know, Danny Ainge had all those draft picks, and, and uh, some panned out, some didn't, most didn't, you know, the way he wanted it to. Uh, the Celtics, I thought, were really one of the biggest underachievers the last couple of years, and injuries had a big part of that as well. Uh, do you think Danny Ainge ends up in a front office again, you know, leading the leading the way? I think it's a possibility, but maybe at this stage of life, maybe a consulting position, but, you know, it matters if he still has the drive in him. All right, let's go down uh, back in the Western Conference. Jason Kidd is going down to Dallas. And Dallas, you know, is already a talented team. Listen, I think Jason Kidd was one of the all-time great point guards, and I think you might agree with that. He was a true, true point guard who actually improved his shot, much like Lonzo Ball, you know, who I've always compared him to. How do you think he's going to do down there? I mean, let's face it, he's got, you know, in Luka Doncic, he's got one of the top three or four players in the world. How do you think Jason Kidd's going to – and you've, you've dealt with Jason Kidd as a head coach in the past. How do you think he's going to do down there? Well, based on what I saw in Brooklyn, I really wasn't that impressed. So 
Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the jury is out on him. And let's face it, they need Porzingis to be a true number two guy. And that's a big question mark. And I think Luca also maybe has to dominate the ball just a little less. As talented as he is, I think there's got to be more guys sharing the ball there. You do equate him, even though he's not a, like, like, listen, he's a great, great player. It's not like Michael Jordan, though. Jordan had to give up the ball a little bit to ultimately get over the hump, you know, and win some championships. Do you sort of see that same kind of analogy? Yeah, I kind of feel that way. They, you know, they run so much pick and roll with Doncic, and there's such a high usage rate. You know, I think they have to run a more balanced offense. Okay. Uh, New Orleans, um, they have a new coach. They still have one of the great players in Zion Williamson, who's only going to get better as time goes on. Do you think that they made a mistake in letting go of Lonzo Ball? He's still a young player at 23, 24 years old. He was part of that nucleus down there. I think it was a mistake on their part. Time will tell, of course, but what do you think? No, I, I think it was a mistake, but they also, the way they were running things there, now I don't know if the new coach will change that. Zion was more of a point forward, so Lonzo really wasn't running the team. And I think Lonzo, deep down, wanted a change of scenery. Maybe his father did, too, for what little that's worth. All right, I, yeah. I mentioned this to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it's going to be so weird having him here. Um, I mentioned this to you yesterday. Kobe Bryant, uh, God rest his soul, he would have turned 45 yesterday. Kobe Bryant, obviously, one of the greats of all time. And uh, I'm just wondering uh, if you have any specific memories. I mean, uh, did you compare him to Michael Jordan during his heyday? Did, was he the closest thing to Michael? You know, what, what did you think of him? Yeah, he was definitely the closest thing to Michael. And, and you know, to say Kobe wasn't better than Michael is in a slap in the face to Kobe. It's just that, you know, Michael was the number one guy. Um, as far as Kobe, it's funny. My memory uh, was watching game seven of the 2010 finals with the Celtics. And his burning desire to win almost cost them that game seven. He said he was pressing. He tried too hard. He shot six for 24 in that game. But like superstar players did, he did other things. Obviously played good defense. And he happened to pull down 15 rebounds in that game. And luckily, Paul Gasol outplayed Kevin Garnett. And Ron Artest was big. And he got himself that fifth championship, which surpassed Shaq. And at the time, left him one short of MJ. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I have a few memories, if you don't mind me just saying them. First of all, his 82-81 no. 80, point game, it was a Sunday night. It was really a throwaway game. The Lakers played uh, Sunday night games. Uh, they were, like, I think the only team that did. And I happened to have it uh, on my screen, and I was watching it and go, oh, my God. I mean, he was just putting them up, putting them up, putting them up, putting them up. And Toronto, of course, was a terrible defensive team back in those days. But I thought, oh, my God, is he going to go for Wilts 100? Because that's a record I don't think that will ever be touched. But that was the closest. Obviously, it's the second highest. And by the way, the second highest in NBA history and still 19 points short of Wilt's 100-point game. And I know you think, I know what you think of Wilt being the greatest of all time, and, and it's hard to dispute that as well. Um, a couple other incidents uh, with uh, Kobe, specifically here in Chicago, because I covered uh, all his games when he played here. And when he went against Michael, listen, Michael was the older player. Kobe was the younger player, you know, just like when Michael came in and Julius Irving was, you know, tail end, if you will. And it was just so much fun to watch them go at each other. 
Michael would do a turnaround jump shot on one end. Kobe would, you know, emulate it on the other end. Michael would go high flying dunk. Kobe would do the same thing. And it was, it was like a mirror image. And then, you know, if you closed your eyes and you listened to Kobe, you heard Michael's voice with the inflection and, and, and the accent and everything else. It really was something else. But one thing that really stuck out in my mind over the years, this was when Dwight Howard's first uh, go around with the Lakers. And listen, Dwight Howard has changed his game. I got to give this guy a lot of kudos. He's become more of a defensive-minded player in his latter years and rebounds and, 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 and is a rim protector. But when he first came to the Lakers and he had that whole Superman nonsense with the cape and everything else, you know, he 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 was such an underachiever in that year with the Lakers. And and they came into this uh, into the Chicago um, building and they weren't really good that season, if I remember correctly, record-wise. And they just had a terrible game and the Bulls beat them and the Bulls weren't even, well, the Bulls were okay. That was one of Thibodeau's teams. And after the game, we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited for Kobe to come out of the showers. And sometimes he would take forever. And when he came out, he was so distraught and he was almost in tears, Andy. And he kept looking over at Dwight Howard, who seemed so nonchalant to everything that was going on. And Kobe, you could tell, was pissed off at Dwight Howard because he didn't take the game serious, at least then. And he was so angry with him. And you know what? I, I saw Michael Jordan's competitiveness up close and personal. And, you know, Kobe's was much the same way. He was so competitive and hurt that his team with Dwight Howard basically dogging it that game. He was so pissed off that that's one of the all-time memories that I have of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, they were both consumed with being great and winning. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Hoops Hype, which is uh, one of the websites that if you're a basketball junkie, like we both are, I, I certainly peruse it early and often. And they had an interesting um, feature this week. It's uh, the top 22 point guards. Did you see this, by the way? The top, how many? Top 22. I don't know why they picked 22, but they had the top 22. Oh, okay, top 20. No, I, I didn't happen to see it. All right, well, I'm just going to tell you what some of them are, and you can you can – have your responses to them. First of all, they have two of the Knicks point guards, lower end. They got Derrick Rose at 21. I don't even know how they did this, but they have Derrick Rose at 21, and they have Kemba Walker at 19. So they got two Knicks guards on the lower end. Any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, when I think of Kemba and the Knicks signing him, you know, it, it, if he's healthy, he helps them. Uh, but to me, the additions didn't move the needle in a big way on the court or as far as them being a, a tremendously attractive uh, destination for a big-time free agent. I mean, let's face it, Kemba's knees are a question mark. I love the way Derrick Rose played last year, but if you look over the last six, seven years, you know, he's missed maybe 50% or more of the games. And Evan Fournier, again, improves them. But at $19 million a year, I wasn't thrilled with that signing. Yeah. All right. Lonzo Ball, who we've talked about previous, coming to the Bulls now, he's number 15. But I would say he's number 15 with a bullet going upwards. He had a really good year last year. That's why I'm really surprised that New Orleans gave up on him. I really am. Um, he, he certainly is a, uh, a pass-first overall point guard. But his outside shooting, which used to be horrendous, he improved to shooting, I think it was 37, 38% from three. 
that's miraculous compared to what he first was when he came out of college. I, I just don't understand why they gave up on him. And, and I'm very hopeful that he will solidify the Bulls starting five. But the one thing he has to do to take his game to another level is play more like a traditional point guard. He doesn't break guys down consistently off the dribble and get into the lane. He's averaged one free throw per game for his career. That's terrible. And about 60% of his field goal attempts have come from three. So really, a lot of his assists have come in transition. He's got to be more of a factor in the half-court game. And with his size and ball handling ability, this is a guy that should be attacking the paint. Points well taken. One of the fortunate things for him is that one of his assistant coaches is Maurice Cheeks, who you will agree with me was one of the all-time point guards uh, who was just a really, really, really terrific player. And I think he's going to learn a lot from Maurice Cheeks. All right, moving up the totem pole. I'm going to give you the top six. You can tell me if you agree or disagree with the order or if anybody else should be in it. Uh, talk about young point guards who are only going to get better and better. They have John ja Morant at number six. And Morant is is not only a pass guard, but, I mean, he can score 20, 25 points easily every game. So I really like John ja Morant. I mean, he's the upcoming superstar at point guard as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, if Ja ever gets a jump shot, it's over. And if Ja gets a jump shot, that's a guy that could be a number one guy on a title team. I mean, his athleticism, his ball handling skills, and just the way he maneuvers in the lane is uh, pretty incredible. They have Chris Paul at number five. Chris Paul had a wonderful season last year. He's one of the main reasons why Phoenix went as far as they did, although at the very, very end, he ran out of gas in those last couple of games against Milwaukee. Chris Paul at number five, but also getting a little long in the tooth. What do you think? Um, not not too long to where he, he he elevated that team to where he did and has done in almost every stop. So if you look at the way he affects the win column, certainly deserving of high status. Well, and, and listen, he, he, he cashed in because he got an extension and he's going to be averaging 30, 35 million. I don't even know what it is for the next four or five years. If I think he's getting long in the tooth now, by the time that contract finally, you know, reaches its conclusion, he's really going to be having uh, long in the tooth. All right. They got Trey Young at number four, another young point guard who, you know, it's interesting. These top four and, and we'll get to the other ones also. You would think of them more as scorers, but that's what NBA point guards are nowadays, are basically scorers first. Trey Young at number four, Andy. But Trey does both. He's giving you basically double-digit assists plus 25 points a game and, you know, just totally impressive in the playoffs. He really elevated that Atlanta team. And let's face it, he hasn't reached his ceiling yet as young as he is. Kyrie Irving at number three. We've talked a little bit about the Nets already. Uh, I mean, Irving, you know, listen, he's probably still in the prime of his career. I don't, you know, he's he's a young veteran player, I guess you could phrase him. Um, but you just worry about him. Sometimes he's, you know, and you know better than I do because you, you're around, you know, the New York teams. But some of his off-court nonsense and thoughts, I mean, you know, does that affect his basketball abilities, do you think? Not at all. But the problem with that ranking by Hoops Hype is that Kyrie Irving is no longer a point guard. He's their two guard. James Harden's their point guard. So I don't know if you can include Kyrie in that ranking. Yeah, they do for what it's worth. How's that for a take? Yeah, well, you're right. Uh, and, and for what it's worth, 
Listen, the Knicks are the Knicks. The Nets are. Well, do, do they have Harden in there? No, they do not. Well, critical mistake by hoops hype. Because as far as I know, James Harden is the one that runs the Brooklyn offense. And James Harden is the one that's one of the league leaders in assists. So as far as I'm concerned, and, and Steve Nash is concerned, and Kyrie Irving is concerned, James Harden's their point guard. As a matter of fact, Irving said, I want you to handle the point guard duties last year. So hoops hype made a major mistake there. All right. Can't disagree with you on that. They have Damon, Damian Lillard at number two. Lillard, much like some of the other guys we already talked about, is a very high scoring. Listen, I've seen, and so have you, Damian Lillard, when he gets hot, there might be nobody who gets as hot as him, minus maybe Steph Curry. You know, Damian Lillard is an incredible threat. And, you know, I'm going to talk more about Damian Lillard in just a second. But first of all, your thoughts of him as a point guard. Um, I have a problem with him ranked number two. Um, prolific scorer, but not a prolific playmaker and a bad defender. And, you know, and the results have not been great in Portland as far as making deep playoff runs. So I don't like him at number two. All right. Do you like Steph Curry at number one? I'll just leave it at that. I, I think I can sum that uh, up in one word. Yes. <laughs> That's an easy call. Okay. All right. I want to go. And you back know what I love about Curry? What? For beyond. No, beyond the incredible shooting and ball handling and solid playmaker is it's my feeling that Steph Curry with his ability to shoot from deep, his ability to break down guys and his movement without the ball, he puts more pressure on a defense than any other player in the league. And he puts that pressure on a defense as soon as he takes one foot over half court. But when he gives up the ball, he's coming off multiple screens. He's a nightmare to defend. Again, so much pressure on the defense. All right, I want to go back to Lillard for just a second. Uh, there continue to be rumors that Lillard eventually will talk his way out of Portland. And one of the destinations that always comes up in rumors is New York. I don't know what the Knicks – listen, the Knicks you, – you would know better than I would what the Knicks might have to give up somewhere down the road to get a Damian Lillard. Can Damian Lillard uh, coexist with a Tom Thibodeau? Listen, I think great players can coexist anywhere, but what do you think, that player or that coach? I think he can coexist, but again, the problem is, if you acquire Lillard, uh, you still don't have a number one guy on a championship team. Lillard is a number two. So I would think, I would, I believe it would be totally, totally foolish to give up young assets and draft picks if you know you're getting Lillard and you don't have any guarantee of getting a guy that's better than him. That would be your number one guy. Okay. All right. I already mentioned the New York Knicks. I want to go over them with a little bit more fine-tooth comb here. I, you know, I, I was really surprised by this, Andy. The Knicks currently have the fourth lowest payroll in the NBA, a team playing at Madison Square Garden that really blow, blew me away. So they obviously have not only room to maneuver now, but room to maneuver even more so over the next couple of years. I mean, obviously they got the nucleus of Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett. Um, but, you know, what, what is their out outlook down the road for the Knicks? Their outlook isn't different than about 80% of the teams. They've got to hope some way they can get a number one player, a franchise player. And that's just a very difficult to do. I mean, as far as the coming year, 
their best hope has to be that Julius Randle duplicates what he does, did last year, that R.J. Barrett, who made huge strides last year, continue to grow. They get Mitchell Robinson back, who was out for most of the season, and hope that he develops his game. That's what they have to hope for. Uh, were they disappointed in Obi Toppin, their number one draft pick? I mean, he didn't appear to do too much, and maybe that's just the first-year player with uh, Tom Thibodeau as head coach. But what was the overall thought on, on Toppin uh, in his first year in New York? I don't think uh, they were totally disappointed. It was an uneven season for him. Uh, he did show some good signs in the playoffs. I think they know, look, he's just touched uh, the surface of his talents. So I don't, I don't think there was major disappointment, but they're looking for him to be a regular contributor this season. Okay. All right. I want to switch from uh, the Big Apple to Second City, which is, by the way, now Third City as far as uh, population. We're talking about the Bulls now. Um, and I know what you thought about the trade with Vucevic. And, you know, listen, I'm, the more and more time goes on, I'm not disagreeing, but I think what our tourist Karnishevis at least attempted to do in this offseason was fortify his starting five. And I think he's got a pretty good starting five. Um, you know, there's always ifs with every team, but in Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, Vucevic in the middle, uh, DeMar DeRozan and Patrick Williams. And Williams is sort of like the key here because you don't know if he's going to be really good or still be passive, yada, yada, yada. What do you think of that starting five overall? Look, I think it's a good starting five. I think this is a franchise that, you know, has struggled in recent years. And let's face it, there aren't many teams that are legitimate NBA championship contenders every year. And franchises want to put a good product out on the floor, make the playoffs, maybe get to the second round. And that's what the Bulls have accomplished. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're right about that because if you're going for a championship – and you've already stated your case on, on numerous teams. If they don't have that quote unquote number one stud star player, they're really playing just for maybe a postseason berth, but they really don't have a, um, a chance for a championship. Is that how you view the Bulls as well? And, and let me ask you, as someone who has seen Zach Levine up close, do you think Zach Levine currently is a number two guy on a title team? Yeah, I do. Okay, because I have my doubts. I do. Any any player who can score, any player who can score. Okay, any player who listen, he still has to get better in a lot of areas. But any player who can score 27 points a game like he did last season, if that's not a number two player on a team, and he was their number one player, by the way, but you know, if you're scoring 27 points a game, that's not a number two player on a team? Are you serious? Well, I, I've got a comeback for you. Did Kevin Love average 25 and 10 in Minnesota? Well, he was their number one player there. Did he turn out to be a number three guy? No, he was a number. I'm talking about a number, but he was a number three guy on a title team. That's what I'm talking about. Is he a number two guy on a title team? I say right now, no, he's not Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday or look, he's not Anthony Davis. I mean, but this, this is what it takes. It's not a slight on Zach Levine. But Levine would not be the second best player on a number of the title contending teams. Okay. That's the reality. Okay. First of all, first of all, Anthony Davis is a top five player in the world, period. Okay. You know, and he happens to be playing a, a, with another top five player in the world, LeBron. So I don't even call them one uh, and two. I call them one and one A at best. Levine, again. 
I still, you're right. I don't think he's the, until the Bulls get a player who is better than Zach Levine, okay? They're not going to win any championship and that may never happen. But to say that Zach Levine is not at least the number two player on a team scoring 27 points a game, he averaged also five rebounds and five assists. What more do you want out of a guy? But I'll, I'll come back with another comeback. Vucevic put up 20 plus and 10 in Orlando. Vucevic is not a number two guy on a title team. He's a number three. So, you know, it's up for debate. I know. Okay. I know. Okay. But I never said anything about Vucevic. I'm talking about Zach Levine. You, you're, you're, you all of a sudden veered away. Okay. I, you know, we, we've already shredded Vucevic, period. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see what Zach does this year. We'll we'll visit it down the road. All right. Okay. Fair enough. On a weekly basis, no less. All right. Finally, Lowry Markinen is still a member of the Chicago Bulls, but he won't be for much longer. I mean, he'll be traded before Ben Simmons gets traded. Lowry Markinen is at least a bargaining chip for the Bulls. Um, and, and Lowry Markinen, for all the knocks against him, and I knock him plenty myself. He shot 40 from three. He's a seven-footer who, uh, who can go to the outside. He shot uh, inside, the, or inside the arc. He shot 60%. So that's pretty damn good. He still disappears in games. But the bottom line is he's, a, he's only 24 years old himself, and he's seven feet. What kind of bargaining chip is that? What can he possibly return? We keep hearing Dallas, 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 because they seem to be the international team in the NBA down there. And, and listen, I think he would play really well down there with Doncic, and he's an insurance policy if Porzingis gets injured like he semi, semi, you know, annually does. But what kind of return do you think the Bulls can get? And let, let's keep in mind, and you've been very critical of Karnishevis, that you know he gave away too many draft picks, and I agree with you. Can they get at least a first-rounder in return plus something else for Markkinen? I will say if they do get a number one pick, then they're fortunate. Because for me, when I watch Markkinen play, he just doesn't pass the eye test. Okay. I don't know what the eye test you're talking about. And maybe you need to go see an optometrist, to be honest with you. Um, anyway, on that uh, sour note. <laughs> well, he just doesn't impress me. He doesn't really, he doesn't impact the game. He doesn't impact the game. To me, he doesn't stand out when he's out there. Okay. Again. When I watched Chicago last year, Thaddeus Young stood out to me. Laurie Markadon doesn't stand out. I'm not saying that he's a world beater, don't get me wrong, but he's only 24 years old. He's only been in the NBA four years. And if you're going to criticize some older players, I mean, at least give this guy a break because he's got another 10 years at least in his NBA career, and he could really blossom in the right situation. He was PO'd, uh, honestly, and he might be weak mentally, to be honest with you, um, because he got uh, relegated to the bench. He didn't get the contract that he wanted when the season first started, yada, yada, yada. So mentally, he's got a long ways to go, but he's got physical tools. He does. And his best game, honestly, was early in his career at Madison Square Garden when he had 30 and like 15, you know. So he's he's got all the potential in the world to be a really good player, and he's shown it at times. I just think the guy's got to be in the right situation. And honestly, I think he also has to toughen up mentally. Do you think he'll be on the Bulls roster on opening night? Not a chance. Not a chance. No way. He's He was so angry that he didn't get uh, uh, his contract last year. And then he got relegated to the bench uh, later on. 
you know, because they were trying anything and everything to get into the postseason. There's no way that he comes back. They will have to trade him uh, even more so than Philadelphia has to trade Ben Simmons. The Bulls have to trade Lowry Markkinen. Okay, and on that note, I think we'll wrap it up, and uh, we will talk again here on Sharpshooters uh, shortly down the road. Thank you.